0: Well, last week we had the opportunity, my friend Malcolm was here from Australia. Uh, that was great. It was a great joy for me as well uh, to be able to be here and to hear that message. I felt like that was a message from the Lord uh, for us. And it was a message, if you weren't here, it was about grace. And it's just so great to be reminded of that. And what my friend Malcolm was reminding us is that God is the God of all grace. Grace. He's not like we sometimes make him out to be legalistic and angry and uh, constantly mad at everybody. But what God is, is God is love. And he wants to reach out to all people. And Jesus is the essence of that. And when Jesus was here on earth, he went out amongst people, among people, doing things that God didn't approve of. But Jesus went there not to condemn them, but to save them, to offer them life. And my friend Malcolm made the great point, what the world needs is not a judge, but a doctor. And that is not the healthy who need the doctor, it's the sick. And so what Jesus did was was, was take God's healing power out to the world and share it with people. And it was in great encouragement that that's what we need to be. We need to be people who love sinners and hate legalism. Well, that great message, which I felt was from the Lord, did raise a question, an important question. And that question is, how do we become people like that? how do we become people like Jesus who exude grace how do we become the kind of people who want to go into those situations and when we find ourselves in situations where around people who don't know Jesus that our reaction is not judgment and is not anger or distance but is embrace and love and to offer God's grace how do we become those kind of people well as only God could do it I had no idea what Malcolm was going to preach on but what we've been planning on talking about this Sunday and next Sunday is how to become people who exude grace. And so I sit there and I listen and I think only, only the Lord could pull this off. And so we're going to do like a, from First Peter, look at really what is a two-part sermon, one part this week and one part next week, which answers the question, how do we become people who are able to give grace to others? So if you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you'd like to use a Bible, and we would really love for you to do this, simply grab one out of the pew, the rack in front of you, or underneath your seat, and turn to page 981. 981. And if you turn one of these church Bibles to page 981, you'll be right where we are, looking at a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote but really is from God to us. And so we're going to be reading verses 4 through 10, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In my first reading of this passage, and perhaps this is your experience this morning, this seems a bit overwhelming, lots of information here, lots seeming to go on. But what I want us to know this morning is is that the essence of what Peter is saying is found in verses 4 and 5. Verses 6 through 10, which are incredibly important, are there to bolster what Peter is saying in verses 4 and 5. So in an attempt to not be overwhelmed by all that's being said here, we're going to focus just on verses 4 and 5 which are going to answer the question, how do we become people of grace? How do we get to the point that we're able to exude grace and share that with other people? So look with me in verse 4. Peter begins, as you come to him, that's Jesus. Now, as you come to him is picking up on what Peter said in verses 1 to 3. That was immediately before this, but we looked at that passage now three weeks ago and if you remember during that sermon or if you don't remember God says the way that you and I grow in our faith is that we become addicted to God that this world is filled with drugs but none of them will satisfy God is the one drug that actually satisfied and as you become addicted to God and as you crave experiences of his presence you and I who are believers in Jesus will grow up in our salvation that we will become uh, those who are mature in the faith as individuals. But that's not all that's going to happen. That's not all that God is doing. God is not just causing us as individuals to grow up in our salvation. Peter says as that's happening and as you are becoming addicted to God, as you are craving God more and more, something is happening collectively. Something is happening corporately here in the church, at Calvary Church here. What is that? He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. God's not just accomplishing our own individual growth to maturity, though he is. He's also doing something corporately here among us as the church. He's making us into a spiritual house. Now, how do I know that when Peter says this, he's talking about the church? Well, it's because the word you in verse five is you plural. And he says you plural are being built into a spiritual house singular you plural are becoming a spiritual house singular this is a telltale sign in the scriptures when God is talking about the church if he said you singular are being built into a spiritual house singular or you plural are being built into spiritual houses plural he would be talking about us as individuals what he says is you collectively are being built into a single house and that means he's talking about the church And when he talks about the church, he's not talking about the universal church or sort of all Christians everywhere, church with a capital C, if you will. He's talking about the local church. How do I know that? Well, if he was talking about all Christians everywhere, he would say, we also are being built into a spiritual house because he would have to include himself. He's not doing that. What he's saying is, is you Calvary church, you resurrection life. You, Crossroads Bible Church, you are being built into a spiritual house that while God is at work in each of us individually who are believers in Jesus so that we might grow up in our faith, he's also doing something collectively amongst us as a church. What is it that he's doing? Well, he's making us into a spiritual house. What does that mean? Well, peter means for us to understand that statement by looking in the old testament i know that because the part we're not focusing on today verses 6 through 10 in that section perhaps unique in all the new testament in those five verses you have five separate quotations from the old testament i don't know anywhere else in the new testament this happens Peter is taking these two statements in verses 4 and 5 and giving us five different Old Testament quotations to bolster what he's saying. And the point we're supposed to take out of this is to understand what it means for Calvary Church to be a spiritual house. God wants us to go into the Old Testament and hear what he has to say there. Now of these five quotations, the most important is in verse 9. This one comes from the book of Exodus and is the one that Peter wants us to focus on. In verse 9 it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. This is a quote from Exodus 19, verses 4 to 6. When Israel had come out of Egypt and was gathered together around around Mount Sinai and God appeared to his people, this is what he said, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, this is a very, very important passage of the Old Testament. In fact, one of the most important passages in all of the Old Testament. And that's because in this passage is contained God's plan for rescuing the world. God's plan for rescuing the world. If you remember at the beginning of the sermon, I said that according to God, what the world needs is right now is not a judge, but a doctor. That the world is sick, if you will, with the disease of sin. And that as a result, the whole world is experiencing death. Death in relationships, death physically, death spiritually, death in every possible way. But God has a plan to rescue the world from death. And here in Exodus 19, with the nation of Israel, we see a glimpse into God's plan. And here was God's plan. Think again about a doctor and those who might need a doctor. And imagine that you went to visit your doctor this week and found out that you had been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. Now, as I'm sure you're trying to process the shock of news like that, imagine that the doctor says to you, but there's good news here. And the good news is, There's a clinical trial going on for just this form of cancer, and I'd like you to participate. You've been selected to participate in this clinical trial. And I believe that by participating in this clinical trial, it's going to save your life. And what's going to happen is, you and a group of people will be given an experimental drug, and the belief is is that experimental drug will cure the cancer that you have. Now the reason why the medical community does clinical trials is at least two reasons one is they want to save those who are participating in the clinical trial they have a a thought that this drug or this procedure or whatever will rescue this person's life but there's another reason why the medical community does clinical trials is because they not only want to save those participating in the clinical trial They want to save everybody else who's got that form of cancer, too. And the purpose of the clinical trial is to demonstrate that this medicine works, that this procedure works, so that once it's proved in this group, it can then be taken to everybody. The goal is not just to rescue the group. The goal is to rescue everybody. But in order to do that, we pull a group out, give them the drug that will save them, and then be able to have that available for the whole world. In that analogy, this is what God is doing. And Israel is the clinical trial. That basically, God looked around at the whole world under the curse of sin and death. The whole world was dying from cancer, if you will. And God said, what I'm going to do is pull a group out and give them the drug that will cure them. And he does it for two reasons. One, he wants to save Israel. But more than that, he wants to save the whole world. And by rescuing Israel, the plan is to show the whole world that this drug will cure them of the cancer that they have. Now, what is the drug that God gave to Israel? It's Himself. See, God is the source of life. If you have God, you have life. If you do not have God, you do not have life because He's the source of life. And so what God is planning on doing is pulling a group of people out and placing Himself in their midst. Coming to dwell and live in Israel. That's what He means when He says, you will be my special possession. Even though the whole earth is God's, He's saying, I'm going to take a particular nation and make that nation my people. In a special way, I will dwell in their midst in a special way, so that I can bring blessing on them. And that blessing would bring salvation. So that when a person was sick in Israel, God would be present there to bring healing. When a person was experiencing discouragement, God would be present there to provide joy. When a person was experiencing physical hunger god would be present there in the nation to provide an abundance of food that when a person experienced death god would be present to provide life the drug that god was going to give to israel was his presence with them and the plan was is that god would bring his healing presence to the nation of israel and all of the other nations would look and see and say, that's the drug that will solve my problem. That is the drug that will give me life. Now, how is God planning to do this in the nation of Israel? How is God planning to make His presence available to them? Well, this is what the book of Exodus is all about. And so after chapter 19, there are three things that God gives to Israel to help them experience His presence the first is the law right after exodus 19 the next few chapters are taken up with the Ten Commandments and God giving to Israel the law and I told you at the beginning this is part one of a two-part sermon we're gonna talk about that law piece next week the second thing that God gave to Israel is the tabernacle the tabernacle was a tent in which God dwelt in exodus 25 god explains what this is for he says then have them make a sanctuary for me and i will dwell among them make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern i will show you god gave to the nation of israel a tent a tent that he was going to live in they were in tents he was going to be in tent and the point was I will live among you. And the tabernacle was the way in which God was going to be present in the midst of the nation of Israel so that he could dole out his blessings to them. The third thing that God gave to the nation of Israel, all in the book of Exodus, the law, the tabernacle, and then finally the priesthood. God said, I will give you priests. And Deuteronomy 10 verse 8 tells us what the purpose of those priests are. At that time, meaning on Mount Sinai, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi, which is where the priests are, to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord and to minister, and then to go out and pronounce blessings in his name, as they still do today. So what the role of the priest was in Israel is that you've got this tent in which God lives. The priest's job is they go and minister in that tent. They minister before the Lord. They spend time in God's presence. And then they go out from the tent and they pronounce blessings on the people. That God communicates His blessings to the nation of Israel through the priesthood. And the purpose was is that as the priests blessed the nation, the nation then would turn out and bless the whole world and the whole world would be drawn to God. The priests were those who were participating in the clinical trial and that as the saving drugs were in their body curing them, they would go out in the world and say, we've got the cure. Here it is. This was God's plan for Israel. But according to 1 Peter, many of those in Israel didn't follow the doctor's orders. They didn't participate in the clinical trial the way that God said it needed to be participated in. And that's why in 1 Peter 2, those other four Old Testament citations are all designed to show that this clinical trial, which had once been given to the nation of Israel, has now been opened up for you and I to participate in. That God is now, through Jesus, enabling us to be participants in this trial, to experience salvation. That's why Peter says, back to 1 Peter chapter 2, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. What he's saying, that's language for the tabernacle. What he's saying to us as Calvary Church today is not only is God growing each of us individually in our faith, he is collectively creating here in this place, not the building, not the walls, but amongst us as a people, a tabernacle, a place in which God will live, a place in which he will dwell, a place in which he'll be able to be present in the city of Grand Rapids, right here at Calvary Church. God is saying, it's the same plan. It's just that now to participate, you don't have to be a physical descendant of Abraham. I've opened up the clinical trial. You can participate as well. What it means for us to be a spiritual house is that we are the place in which God is making his presence known. This is where God is dwelling. God who is the source of all blessing, of all joy, of life. Is saying, I am making you into a house in which I will dwell by my spirit. Why? Look at the next phrase. So that we will be a holy priesthood. Same plan is that so we would be the priests of god so whereas in israel it was a literal tabernacle a literal tent god is saying i'm making you calvary church into the place in which i dwell by my spirit so that you can come before me and experience my presence and then go out from here and be an agent of my grace go out and pronounce blessings notice the priests do not go out and pronounce curses They go out and pronounce blessings. They go out and say the Lord is love. God wants to embrace you. God wants to save you. No doctor worth this salt is out there telling everybody you're going to die. Tough for you. What the doctor is saying is we've got hope. We can heal you. We can help you. God's saying I will make your church into a tabernacle in which I dwell by my spirit so that you will become priests who go out and bless and say God is for you God loves you God can heal you death does not have to be the result you can have life the way this works is that if you went through a difficult life situation this week maybe you lost a loved one maybe you're right in the midst of a divorce Maybe you have been diagnosed with cancer. Maybe you've suffered persecution at your workplace or at your school. Maybe you have committed a horrific sin. Maybe a horrific sin has been committed against you. Maybe you're just dealing with the general discouragement that comes from feeling like life is meaningless. Whatever it was this week, God has brought you here this morning so that you can meet with him. So that he might bless you. So that he might say to you in the midst of the loss of that loved one, I'm here with you. I'm going to take care of you. That he can say to you in the midst of this cancer scare that you're experiencing, I love you, I will not leave you. Death will not overcome and win. That he can say to you, I bring meaning to life. That when you come into this place and you meet with God and suddenly he's here and he speaks to you through the sermon and you say, how in the world could that preacher have known anything about what I was going, on, going through and you realize it's not the preacher, it's God talking to me. Or in the music there is a line that you think I've never heard that before. That's God speaking to me or you see a friend who comes alongside of you and gives you a word of encouragement that's God dwelling here amongst us collectively communicating to you and me as we go through life I'm with you I love you this is God blessing us and then what do we do we go out in the world and we find our friends at work so you're never going to believe this Jesus is alive I just I got diagnosed with cancer And then I went to his house and he told me he was going to be with me. That's what we do. That's being a priest. You go out into the world and you testify to them blessings. Hey, look, I have cancer, but God said he was going to take care of me through it. You have cancer. God wants to take care of you. That's pronouncing blessings. That's how we become agents of grace. We simply come to this place and experience God's grace and then we go out and we give it out. We come here and we hear God say to us, I love you. I will be with you. I will watch over you. I will redeem what you are going through. And we simply go out into the world and do that to other people. Say that to other people. That's what God is doing. Now, if this is true, and I believe it is because God wrote it, this leads me to five implications for us today that flow out of this theology that peter is telling us implication number one our job as calvary church is to let god do this if this is what god is doing our job is to let him do it notice there's nothing in this passage that gives us anything to do it doesn't say Work hard to become a spiritual house. It doesn't say pass the right policies that you might be a spiritual house. It doesn't say try really, really hard to become a spiritual house. It says, I am building you, Calvary Church, into a house in which I dwell by my spirit. That means our job? Just let him do it. It's not my job to make this church into something. It's not your job to make this church into something. It's his job to make us into his house. That's why our mission statement at Calvary Church is to be Christ's church in this place. Our job is not to do something. Our job is to be something. Our job is not to accomplish something. It's to have something happen to us. We don't have a mission. We are the mission. This is what God is doing. It's not my church, it's not your church, it's not going to turn out the way I want it to turn out or the way you want it to turn This is God's church. This is what he's doing. I will build you into a spiritual house. This is why Jesus says to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So our job is to sit back and let him do it and not get in his way. Second implication. If this theology is true and it is then we are here this morning to become priests we've gathered here this morning in God's tabernacle as God's tabernacle not simply to enjoy God's presence we are here to enjoy God's presence but when you participate in a clinical drug trial The reason you're participating in the drug trial is because when the drug works, you're supposed to go tell people that it worked. I mean, what kind of person gets to participate in a trial in which they're cured from cancer and won't tell their friends that have the same cancer how to get saved? Look we're here as a spiritual house to become priests. We're here to experience the blessings of God, not to hoard them for ourselves. Look, God's got more than enough blessings to go around. We're not here simply to hear God say to us, I love you. And then keep that news to ourselves. We go home and say, God loves you. Just like he loves me. And we've gathered together as the spiritual place in which God dwells. So that we might become priests. To go out and pronounce, not curses, but blessings. We're not here. Just to enjoy God's presence. Good thing I got picked for this clinical trial. It'd be tough if I wasn't. No, 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 no. That's not how God set this up. Implication number three: If this theology is true, and it's in God's word, so it is. Then we need to realize that the church, the local church is God's plan for rescuing the world this is how God plans to deal with the problem of sin and death in the world this is what God was doing with Israel this is what God is doing today it's all one plan we just now get to participate in that plan through Jesus and the point is there's not a plan B this is it this is what God is doing this That God's plan to save the world is not better schools, or better government, or better laws, or better businesses. God's plan to save the world is us being the church he's making us to be. When you say, God, what are you going to do with the problem of sin and death in the world? He says, I'm building you into a spiritual house so that you might become a holy priesthood to go out and bless the world. Look at this. God set this up for thousands of years. The whole Old Testament is God pulling this together. The creation of the priesthood, the tabernacle, Mount Sinai, the Exodus, the law. All this stuff is all part of the plan. We're the culmination of that plan. It's not the U.S. government. It's not our local schools. It's not the businesses that we're a part of. God is for all of those things. God wants your schools to thrive. He wants the government to thrive. He wants businesses to thrive. But this is his plan to save the world. Number four. You and I cannot become priests of God without participating in the church of God. We cannot become priests of God without coming into the dwelling in which God dwells. Participating here. Look, it says, verse 5, you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You cannot jump to being a priest without going through being the spiritual house. This means that churches that want to cancel their Sunday morning worship services so they can go out and serve in the community are missing the point. This means churches that want to abandon truth and worship to try to attract as many non-Christians and try to be as popular as possible are missing the point. God is making us into a spiritual house in which He dwells. When we come and spend time in His presence, we go out from His presence and have something to share with someone. Without this, what would we give them? what grace would we say to them when we go through difficult times we come here and we hear God say to us I love you It doesn't have to be just Sunday morning it can be in our small group it can be in a Bible study we hear God say I will not leave you that gives us something to say to those out there otherwise what are we gonna tell them I heard some rumors that there's a God out there somewhere I met this God when I was five years old but I haven't talked to him since no what we're gonna tell them is I just interacted with him. He's here, and he wants to save you. That those who skip church, those who hop from church to church, cannot become the priests of God. This is how God set it up. I'm not the one doing this. I didn't write this. This is his plan, and his plan is, I will dwell amongst you and form you into a spiritual house. You will use that to spend time with me and then go out and be a blessing to the world. And then, fifth, and perhaps most important, if you have come here seeking God, you've come to the right place. If you want to find God, if you have experienced darkness, if you have experienced loneliness, If you feel separated from God, if you have walked away from God, if you have committed sins that you feel is going to push God out of your life. If for whatever reason you want to meet with God, you've come to the right place. God wants to meet with you. God set this whole thing up. We're all here. All of us are here because God wanted to create a house in which he could meet with you. Again, not the bricks and the mortar, but the people. Each person in this room is here this morning for you. God brought us here so that we might become a spiritual house. You may feel like God has completely forgotten you, but I can tell you that sitting around you today are people that God put next to you because He wanted to dwell with you. That the person who gave you that word of encouragement, that that sermon that's been written this morning was written for you by God. This is His plan. To meet with His people. And if you want to meet with God, if you ever want to meet with God, if you ever want to interact with God, if you ever want God's blessing in your life, God has set up the way for it to happen. Come and be with me, come and participate.